thing. We're looking today at the missions and missionary, uh, the missionary mandate from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. I want to show you something first. And uh, Jesus, some of his last words to us in his word were to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I've got a little ball here and it's it's actually blue, but it's kind of dark, so we're going to pretend that it's black because our world is black with sin. It's dark with sin. And Jesus, it was no different back in that day that it was dark with sin, and so he wants us to go into all the world and tell others about him, and he is the light. And so that people not only in the world can hear about the light, but can receive the light as their own Savior. And then a dark world gets changed to being green, which stands for eternal life, eternal life. And eternal life is available only through Jesus Christ our Lord. So our mission mandate is to go and tell others that they might be saved. Children, you are dismissed. We are in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 looking at our mission mandate. Please stand with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. Isaiah telling us his own experience here. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Thank you. May be seated. We are looking at missions today. We saw the GAs up here. Uh, You might have noticed all these displays out here. Uh, We want to really immerse you in missions today. And I want to start by making fun of our Southern Baptist missionaries. And that's because... I love our Southern Baptist missionaries. I've worked alongside our Southern Baptist missionaries, so I just want to make fun of them. So there was a Hindu, a Jew, and a Southern Baptist missionary who got lost. They find a farm and ask the farmer if they can spend the night. The farmer replies, I only have room for two, so one of you has to stay in the barn. Well, the Hindu volunteers, but a few minutes later, he knocks on the front door and tells the farmer, I'm sorry, there's a cow in the barn, and cows are sacred to us. The Jew says, that's okay, I'll sleep in the barn. But a few minutes later, the Jew knocks on the door and tells the farmer, I'm sorry, there's a pig in there and pigs are unclean to us. The missionary says, the Southern Baptist missionary says, no problem, I'll sleep in the barn. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. It's the cow and the pig. (laughs) Let's look at our mission mandate today. First of all, I want you to know we are commanded to go. We are commanded to go. Uh, Jesus, some of his last words on earth to us are found in Matthew 28 and 19, known as the Great Commission, where he says, Go, did you catch it? Go ye into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. But notice the first word there, go. His final words are to be our first priority. Now that word go in the Greek when it says go ye, the word go there literally means as you go or as you are going. You see, our faith is not to be a stay-at-home faith. We are to share our faith in our daily lives. Doing missions is not just an occasional task to perform. It is a lifestyle to live. We are to be missionaries and we are to send missionaries. And missions can be done across the ocean or it can be done across the street. Our church sponsors many local mission opportunities in which you can all participate. You might say, well, I don't want to go on the other side of the world. Okay, you can do missions right here, right in our church, 
right in our community. As you will see some of the displays out there, there's the Catherine Foundation, there's Operation Christmas Child, there's our own First Baptist Church Food Pantry, there's the Our Place Homeless Shelter, there's Lifestyles with Safe Nights, there's Upward Soccer, Upward Volleyball, Upward Cheerleading, there's all kinds of local missions right here. But we are commanded to go. But secondly, I want you to know that we choose to go. We choose to go. God asks, who will go for us? And Isaiah volunteers to go. He says, here I am I. Send me. I'll volunteer. I'll go. We are not only commanded to go, we choose to go. We volunteer to go. Now, I want to tell you this, is, and I've shared this with you before, but this is actually my personal call to ministry. God called me into the ministry back in 11th grade, but I didn't pursue ministry. Uh, I finished out high school, then went to college and studied computer science. And then I worked in computer science for many years. But God got a hold of me and started getting me back to where he originally called me to be. And one night, God had dealt with me. He was dealing with me all night long. I couldn't get any sleep. And I was living in College Park, Maryland at the time. And in the middle of the night, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, I went to a park bench in a park in College Park. I bowed on my knees and I prayed this. Here am I, Lord. Send me. This is my personal call to ministry, but it is also my ecclesiastical calling. For you see, the church is called to go. The church is called to go. And I'm part of the church. So if I'm part of the church and the church is called to go, guess what? I'm called to go. It is not just my personal calling, it is my ecclesiastical calling and yours too. The church, before it goes though, must pray. The church is to pray. I talked about this a few weeks ago. This may, you may remember this, but from Matthew 9, beginning in verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he may send forth labors into his harvest. Prayer is vital to the spread of the gospel. We don't spread the gospel if we don't pray first. Because prayer does not align God with our mission. Prayer aligns us with God's mission. You ask any missionary what they need more than anything else, and they need money, and they need supplies, and they need help. But you ask any missionary, what do you need more than anything else? And they will tell you, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for us. Because they understand prayer is vital to the spread of the gospel. Now Jennifer Miller is going to come right now and just share for a few moments about prayer walking in Panama. Now I know you know what prayer is, but you might not know what prayer walking is. And we did a lot of prayer walking in Panama. So she's going to come share. And she chose Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 as her theme verse for the mission trip. And it says this, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of the ways that we help bear others' burdens is through prayer and prayer walking. And so Jennifer will come and share. Good morning. So as the pastor said, um, we had the opportunity to go to Panama this past summer. This was my second time going. And we do a lot of prayer walking in Panama. In fact, we're trying to bring that practice here um, in September, if you haven't noticed that in the bulletin the last few Sundays. But the, the whole purpose of prayer walking is to engage with God immediately. You know, we can pray at any time, any point in the day, of course. But sometimes, you know how people come up and they tell you a burden and then you go, oh, I'll pray for you. And then we go on and we, let's be honest, we may forget. But prayer walking is immediate 
insight on site with God. Um, and it's intercessory prayer. So in Panama, of course, there's a lot of hurdles to get through when we pray walk when we do the prayer walking in Panama. One is not all the missionaries are fluent in Spanish. I know enough Spanish to be dangerous. Um, that's about it. Um, and I certainly would not attempt to pray to a native Spanish speaker in their language. Um, but we have a big, huge cultural burden we have to get through because the last few years that we've worked in Panama, we've worked with the indigenous people, which is a little different than just saying they're Spanish people. It's a complete different culture. Um, and there are different ways of prayer walking. So the process that we went about in Panama, we would always pray at the gate of the mission um, for the comings and goings <clears throat> so that they would be a light in the community. So we pray right there at the very beginning. Sometimes we have a track, sometimes we don't. Last year when we went, we shared the Gospel of John in Spanish uh, with a lot of people uh, that we met along the way. And we would always stop at pivotal spots in our walking. Um, it could be some government buildings, could be the medical clinic, the school, places uh, like that. We would stop and pray specifically for their needs at that particular spot. But then probably the most personal and the most enjoyable is getting to meet people along our path and praying for them immediately for whatever they needed. Uh, there's a lot of issues in Panama. Um, like I said, the cultural, the culture, <clears throat> excuse me, the language, but the religious differences. Uh, even though we are in the rainforest, there's been a lot of outside influence, uh, more than you may think. There's a Jehovah's Witness church and a Catholic church. Um, the history of, of Panama, of course, is very Catholic-driven. And then we come in as Southern Baptists, and we have not only to deal with those false doctrines, but then also the native religion, which is very embedded in spiritualism. And so when we pray for people and we do intercessory with them, we get to see really where they are spiritually and what, where the confusion may be. Um, and we are able to pray for them immediately. So I could share a couple quick stories with you. Last year, when Sally and I went, there was a family who wanted prayer for their nephew who had drowned. Now, drowning, of course, is nothing too out of the ordinary, but they truly believed that it had nothing to do with his ability to swim, had nothing to do with currents. They truly believed that an evil spirit had pulled him under the water um, and that there was an evil spirit lurking now because of, of this accident. Uh, so that was one thing that we could really immediately pray for the false doctrine there and then try to to, to um, teach the religious aspect um, correctly. This past year, we met with um, a woman who had multiple children with multiple different fathers. We came, went to their house actually three times because she was hungry, she was seeking, and she needed prayer specifically for her newborn baby who was very ill. And the choices in Panama of you are very ill is a witch doctor or a very primitive medical clinic. Those are your choices. Um, and you could tell just by speaking to her that she had been influenced already by Jehovah's Witnesses at some point in her walk. Um, we also met with a lady um, who was new to Panama and was trying to build a home, very primitive home uh, situation, but she was fleeing from Colombia. We're about 20 miles from the Colombian border, and there's huge drug cartel influence in Colombia. And we are praying specifically for her because she was fleeing. Her children had already been killed. They were gunned down in the street by the drug cartel, who we found out went into a Native American village and wiped out 300 people, men, women, and children, 
just shot him, just killed him right there. So, um, just, just, so she was fleeing from that. And so it's just very personal. It's very emotional. And we pray sometimes in English. Like I said, I don't know Spanish fluently at all, but I could pray in English. And they, they appreciate the prayers and they sense the prayer, even if I don't always have an interpreter present. Or not just me, but other missionaries as well. So the missionaries that are there, they are truly building up the relationships with the people through prayer walking. And their mission, in turn, becomes a light for that entire community. So there's more information about prayer walking in the Panama pictures. And if you're interested in prayer walking, you know, see me, because we would love to do that here, too. All right, thank you, Jennifer. And so the church is called to go. And one of the ways we do that is we pray. But the second way is giving. And I'm not going to lecture you on giving. First Baptist Church is very generous in your mission giving. If you ever look at our budget uh, at the end of the giving year, you just see how generous you are. And I just want to encourage you, keep giving to missions. Keep giving to missions. But then the third thing the church is to do is to actually go. As I mentioned before, going may be around the world. It may be across the street. And I want to encourage each of you to schedule around our annual summer mission trip. Learning about missions is good. We have RAs, we have GAs, we have women on mission. Uh, Jennifer stands up here from time to time and tells you about different things. Learning about missions is good. But here I'm telling you, doing missions is life-changing. It's one thing to learn about it. It'll change your life when you do it. It's life-changing for those who are reached, obviously. It is life-changing for those who are encouraged, like our missionaries, like the people that are on the field. When we show up, they know we've sacrificed time, money, energy, vacation to come help them. They are encouraged, and it's life-changing for the ones who go. If you've never been on a mission trip, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Now, Sally and Jennifer went to New Orleans in June. And Sally chose Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 as her theme verse. And it says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I want you to notice, first of all, the invitation is universal. It says, Whosoever may call upon the name. The invitation is universal. But the message is personal. Someone has to go. Someone has to go. It says there. Well, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Someone has to go. And then someone has to tell. So while the invitation is universal, the message is personal. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to tell. And what are they going to tell? They need to tell the same thing there that they tell here which is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who believe. Jesus was buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead. And if you but receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he'll forgive you of your sins, he'll grant you eternal life, and you will spend forever with him in heaven. That's the message to share on the field. It's the message we share right here week in and week out. So Sally is going to come share with you about her mission work in New Orleans. Good morning. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here and be able to present. Um, we, Jennifer and I went to uh, New Orleans and we partnered with the Baptist Theological Seminary and something they called Mission Lab. So with the Mission Labs, we were sent out each day to different locations throughout the city of 
New Orleans to do a different mission each day. So I will not spend a lot of time on prayer walking, but we did prayer walking just as Jennifer talked about. It was a bit different in New Orleans than it was in Panama, of course. Um, but I do want to share with you two people who stood out. We, of course, did go to certain locations and we prayed over schools and we, we, each intersection we would come to, we'd pray for the trolley car, car was there, we'd pray there and so on. We saw somebody pumping gas, we prayed with them, um, just wherever we went. But two stick out with, to me and um, the one is on our mission board out there. So I want you to take a good look at a man named Irish. You'll notice him, he has red hair, red beard and a black lab. <laughs> Um, Irish has just stuck with me since we said how it changes your life to go on a mission trip, and it certainly does. So meeting Irish was a life-changing experience for me. We noticed him while we were walking. We see this guy riding a red bike, going really fast, and the, his black lab is trying to keep up with him on a lead, and so that was hard to notice. And he's yelling at her, and so they pull over to, they finally came to his little apartment, and the dog was very, very thirsty, and he was screaming at her, and, I, and not in a mean way. He just was compassionate. He wanted her to drink the water he had there for her. You'll see the bottle of water he has. And she just didn't, she was just, I think, exhausted. So that caught our attention and we just, we stopped and we were almost done on our walk that day. And um, Irish is like a lot of people I think we run into today. He's just confused. One whole side of his arm tattoos has Christ-like symbols and religious symbols. And the other side is all satanic. His red bike even said, Hail Satan on it. And it was, I was just drawn to him because I knew just the way he was treating his dog, he wanted that dog to get water. He was compassionate. He's just confused. He's just probably heard so many stories. I found out about his life. I sat down on the stoop and I talked with him and I found out that um, he didn't have a dad. Um, his mother, who he called his best friend, was out in Oregon. He was trying very hard to get there. Somebody was going to take him there and then disappointed him and didn't take him there. And then... Um, he just, his stepdad wanted nothing to do with him. So he just was so confused about God. And he'd say, yeah, I know about God. And then, so one of the last things I said to him, I sat down and I shared Christ with him and I gave him a track. And I just said, Irish, I just hope, I know I probably won't see you again here on earth, but I pray that I'll see you in heaven. And that's just what we're called to do. Just go and there are people like that are everywhere. They're here in La Plata, Waldorf, Southern Maryland. They just need us to reach them where they are. And another one, um, we never know what we're going to find when we go on a mission trip or run into, but we do know who goes with us, and God is there. So we walk, this time we were down in the city, the main part, um, and walking, and I, we passed this girl. She was sitting, her legs are crunched up, and she had a sign in front of her that said, um, just looking for an act of kindness. And I kind of just walked right by her, and I said, wait a minute. I need to go back and read that sign. And so said, just would like an act of kindness. So again, I, I walked up to her and I gave her a track and I said, here's my act of kindness for you. And it was like, where will you turn, spend eternity? And, and um, so I went to talk to her about God and she's like, I know all about God. I, I do. I know about him, but I'm going to take the track and read it. So as I reached down to give her the track, I was ready to say, oh, I, you have a nice little kitty cat there. And she, it wasn't a kitty cat. It was the first time I've ever seen a baby possum <laughs> in a, a city. So I was like, oh, nice little, um, oh, I, I really like your baby possum. And so, um, and here's a track, honey, make sure you read it. So you, again, you never know what you're going to find, but you know that God's there helping you to plant seeds. So we did do prayer walking. 
We also um, were working with a group called the Bethel Colony Transformation Ministries for men and women, and we worked a lot in this one. They run, they go through this program. These are people who have been through abuse themselves, their substance abuse, they've addicted to drugs. They might have been trafficked, human trafficked at some time, but they're just, um, their chains have been broken, though, because everybody who works in these ministries are saved. They now know the Lord, and they're trying to outreach to other people. So we were there coming alongside of them, helping them in their ministries, and also ministering to people who come into their businesses. Again, there's plenty of pictures out there. They run a coffee shop, which Jennifer and I agree is the best coffee <laughs> we've ever tasted. Um, they run a thrift store, and we helped a lot in that. They run a what they call a snowball. I'm used to them being called snow cones. A snowball shop. Um, and the men run a car wash. Now picture this. It's like 110, 112 degrees, and those men are there morning to evening doing the car washes. It's cute the names they call it. Like anoint, full anointing is like a $25 full car wash, and then the touch of an angel is the tiny car wash. So you can see that out there. I just thought it was interesting how they draw people into their car wash. But um, such a, a, a tremendous thing to be able to come alongside my Christian sisters and work with them in that thrift store, spend time encouraging them. Um, and again, it's a pastor down there who has opened up all these businesses for these people who have gotten off their drugs and away from the abuse, and now they're serving the Lord. So one more um, place, and you'll also see it out there. It is the Baptist Friendship House. You may see in the, an insert in the bulletin where we're asking for donations, like sunscreen, bug spray. And this, um, I'll read exactly what their mission is. Baptist Friendship House seeks to minister to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the impoverished, the homeless, and survivors of human trafficking in New Orleans. There's a flyer out there. It'll, you can open it up, and it's that is that corridor down there. I-10 is one of the largest corridors for human and sex trafficking. Very sad area. The lady we went and helped here. They help um, homeless. They give out clothing, food. Um, there's Bible studies there. So many things. They have a clay room where they work um, on clay pottery wheels. And so you'll see we we're talking about the World Crafts Organization. Their craft, their pottery pieces are sold through there, and you'll be able to see that out there as well. So um, the director there told us, and you'll see her standing in one of the bedrooms, when somebody is taken in from human trafficking, she works with the FBI, Homeland Security, all these local police departments to try to get people off, to try to get them reunited. And she knew that we were from Maryland, and she told us how um, miraculously, you know, through God's help, they were able to rescue a girl from right here in Maryland and get her back to her home. So what happens when they get somebody, they can either stay there in a transitional housing at that location, the Friendship House. They can, if they need medical, immediate medical attention, they take them to a hospital and somebody goes and stays with them there. Or they can, if they are healthy enough and feel well enough, secure enough, they can get on a bus right away, and this house helps them get back to home. So um, those were the three areas that we um, were um, doing our ministry work, and um, take a look at all of it out there on the board. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Sally. So we're commanded to go. We choose to go. But let me say this. I know some can't go. Some can't go. You have responsibilities at home. You have responsibilities at work. 
health reasons would keep you from going, maybe financial reasons. Every one of us paid money to go on this trip. You helped us. Uh, we did take an offering here, but it didn't cover everything. We had to pay. Uh, but we want to remove, as a church, we want to remove that burden from keeping you from going. Now, we can't help your health problems. We can't fix your uh, responsibilities at home or at work. But I have requested Jennifer Miller to increase our mission trip budget significantly for 2023 and beyond, to take that off the table. For anybody that would say, well, I can't afford to go, now you can afford to go. Uh, but again, the other issues you'll have to deal with on your own. But remember, for those who can't go, you can still give and you can still pray. So we're commanded to go. We choose to go. Thirdly, I want you to know I have gone. <laughs> I have gone. I've gone on mission trips to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Mexico, Jamaica, New Orleans, Louisiana, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, McDowell County, West Virginia, Puerto Rico, and most recently, Panama. Now, most of you know, when I was trying to go to Panama, I had paperwork difficulties. I put out two one calls. I said, I thought I was going. I'm not going. And then a day or two later, I said, well, I'm going after all. It was all paperwork. But hear this. My delay ensured that needed supplies arrived at the missionary compound. The missionary said that if I hadn't been delayed, those supplies they desperately needed would have taken at least three weeks to show up or might not have shown up at all. And yet my two-day delay made sure those supplies came with me and got to the missionaries when they needed it. Hear me, God is always working. God is always working. Now, we don't always know what he's doing, but he's always working. And there is a purpose for everything that God does and for everything that God allows. I want to tell you a little bit about going to church in Panama. It's not at all like going to church here in the United States. There are no church buildings to start with, just open-air public community pavilions. Now, I show this picture for two reasons, so you can see the open-air nature of this facility here. There is a roof, but there's no walls. And I also want to point out Jim Miller, who's on our security team here at First Baptist. He's one of our door monitors. Well, even in Panama, he was monitoring the door. But he wasn't trying to keep bad guys out. He was trying to keep dogs and chickens out from church. And he did a good job. The Indian people there, the natives in Panama, come in two varieties, the Embara and the Wuna. And they are oral storytellers. That's how they preserve their traditions, through oral storytelling. And so these natives are told Bible stories. Now, before you mock at that, Jesus was quite a storyteller himself. We call his stories parables. Southern Baptist missionaries have taught native believers how to story. They have taught them how to tell Bible stories. And our Southern Baptist missionaries, they attend the services. They don't conduct the services. Because our missionaries live by this rule. There is no success without a successor. There is no success without a successor. What that means is if a missionary goes in there and preaches and teaches and baptizes and so on, then he leaves or dies and the work falls apart, what's the point? You need a successor. So our missionaries have gone in there. They have taught the natives how to tell stories. Then they sit back. They encourage them, but they don't do it. There is no success without a successor, and that comes right out of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 
where Paul writes, and the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, after each story, three questions are asked. What was the story to make sure that things were communicated properly? Secondly, why is that story significant? And thirdly, how does this story apply to your life? And I will tell you, these three questions generated very animated interaction. As the, as the natives were all interacting, they weren't angry. It wasn't heated. But it was lots of hands and talked, and I don't speak the language yet. I'm working on it. Uh, but I didn't know what all was going on. But it was very animated. Because the stories themselves and then the questions really brought it home and touched the hearts of these people. And I will tell you that even though there are Jehovah's Witnesses there, there's Pentecostals there, there's Catholics there, there's Church of Christ there, they're trying to do church like we do. American-style church with a building and all of that, it isn't working. Southern Baptist missionaries are the only ones who have taught the natives to tell Bible stories and ask the questions. And it is working and lives are changing. And so we are commanded to go. We choose to go. I have gone. They have gone. Here's the question. Will you go? Will you go? You say, well, what will I do? Or what if I don't speak the language? Or what if I don't understand the culture? You will serve as directed by the missionary as Jim did in Panama. The rest of us did too, but Jim's our next speaker. Jim chose 1 Chronicles 16.24 as his theme verse. It says, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. Now, if you know Jim, he will tell you he is a man of few words. How is a man of few words supposed to declare God's glory? Jim declared God's glory and works through his service to others in Panama. Jim? Well... When I went to Panama, you know, I I had trouble with my knees, and I wasn't sure that going over there I'd even make it. But as I got over there, the more I seen, the more thankful I was that I did make it and went over there. Um, we we were training people to do different jobs. And one one of the women working, she was a missionary, one of them working in the kitchen doing cooking and stuff, and she had showed me a electrical panel box that was all rusty and was worried about the rust falling off it down into her grills and stuff and everybody ended up eating the rust. Uh, she said, is there anything we can do about that? I said, yeah, we can paint it. I said, bound to be some paint around here. And so we we took the, I took the panel box off the wall. We took it out to the shed, and she went with me out the shed. We sanded it down, and I found some paint that was close to the same color as what the walls were, and we painted it. And she was uh, learning to paint. I was teaching her how to do it and everything, cutting in and all that. And it really 
worked out good for her, and she was happy. And then we had uh, doing different work around there and teaching stuff. Most of the plumbing there wasn't working very good. It was leaking like mad, and you know, if the more you, it leaks, the worse things get. So I started going around tightening up pipes and faucets and everything, helping helping out that way. And which it was a lot of plumbing to be done. Then, uh, but the church that they showed most of the people end up when they go there, they sit in the floor because there's no places to really sit, some some seats in there. But I built a, a big 10-foot long bench over there, which would help matters on the idea of some, you know, some people being able to sit, some of the older people at least, you know. And so we done that. And then um, we... With Jennifer was talking about the uh, uh, prayer walks. Well, on one of the prayer walks we went on, I met met this family that had a refrigerator that wasn't working. And you all know you need your refrigerators no matter what. Well, they went and got a technician to come out there and look at the refrigerator. He said he could tell them what was wrong with it, but he didn't have parts to fix it and no way of getting any. They'd have to find the parts and put them in themselves or get someone else to do it. So they got the parts, and I ended up putting them in. And uh, we, we was hoping that that cured everything, but the next day, we ended up having to switch a, out a switch, too, rewire it. So I was hoping things worked right. But uh, the uh, working like that, you know, it makes, makes you appreciate the things that you actually have that you don't have to worry about it here.